My guest is Thomas Bouet. Thomas Bouet is Director General Policy for the EMEA region for the BSA, the Software Alliance. Welcome to the podcast, Thomas. Thank you, Paul. Good morning. We've got so much to talk about, but let's let's get cracking. Um, first of all, um, the van der Leyen Commission has been in office now for two and a half years or so. One of the flagship policy areas has been this whole notion of digital sovereignty. Tell us a bit about, first of all, the BSA as an organization and what is its take on this digital sovereignty debate? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, BSA, we are a global trade association that represents the enterprise software industry. So we are representing sort of B2B uh, software and our members are companies like SAP, Salesforce, IBM, Workday, or Splunk, and they provide the digital tools to other businesses, large or small. They provide dig- digital tools to governments, um, and you know we have a regional office here in in, in Brussels that, that I run, but we also offices in the United States across the Asia Pacific region, South America, including hubs in Japan, Singapore, India, Australia, and and, and Brazil. Um, and you know we are looking, you know, at least from from our perspective, at the tech policies that are being developed in Europe that have been de- being developing for a long time, uh, but but from a global perspective, because it's really important for us to understand the perspectives and share insights from you know other global markets that have you know similar regulations or similar views, and, and to try to bring that into the discussions that we're looking at you know the world you know as as a, as a global global marketplace, and and in that sense we have a unique position in Brussels because we can bring all these views and all these insights from other parts of the world. But since you're a, a global association, and that's quite a, quite a rare bird in, in, in Brussels, you know, because most associations have a sort of European membership and a European uh, remit, um, on this whole debate of, the, of, of digital sovereignty, it's all about, of course, EU digital sovereignty, do you find it a, uh, a challenge because you might think it's too regional, almost too parochial as, a, as an issue where you are representing and seeing the global bigger picture? Well, the, the interesting thing with the, with the digital sovereignty discussion is that it hasn't been properly defined. Right. And you find as many definitions as you have interlocutors. And that is, you know, the, the challenge that, that we're facing. Now, you know, in, in the light, at least in the words of Commission President von der Leyen back in, in 2020, you know, if digital sovereignty is about creating the tool and the choices that individuals, companies will have in choosing you know, technology solutions, that's important, you know, according to our values, our, our way of, of doing things, you know, that, that's important. If digital sovereignty is looked as a protectionist tool in order to exclude players from the market because of their nationality or because of their, you know, the, the, the location of the headquarters, that is a whole different, different, different situation. And we are seeing different pushes uh, across, across the board that are, some of them are more open, some of them are more closed and more protectionist. And then we're seeing that, for instance, in some very specific and very dry sector, like cybersecurity right. standardization for cloud computing. Uh, you know, so that, 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 you know, and I, I'm not going to go into too many details, but we're seeing pushes now to be, be done to ensure that if you want to have this European certification, you need to be owned by Europeans in a large majority. And if you have too many, you know, foreign owners, then you cannot qualify that the data has to be localized here for a variety of reasons. That will not actually create choice. It will limit the choice that companies, governments and others can have because if you need to, to choose between that very small pool, then that will not give you the autonomy that you that, that actually is wanted in, in the context of sovereignty. So so that that is a thing that we are that we're witnessing. Do you think that's an unintended consequence, or is actually something quite deliberately uh, being put forward as a strategy by the EU? Because it strikes me as a non-expert that 
every time the EU, in this case in the broad technology field, comes out with some new strategy uh, which has as its kind of baseline sovereignty, uh, uh, independence, autonomy, whatever you want to call it, then automatically there's a there's an instant, as you just hinted at, a reaction that this is protectionist. But then if, you were, if we were having this conversation in the United States context, would that be a similar argument we'd be having as well? Well, I think, you know, the, the word sovereignty, and this is a very personal comment, but as right. the more we talk about sovereignty, it's about our ability to control everything here. It's, right. it's, more, it's less about collaboration. It's less about working with like-minded partners because it's focusing on what's mine is mine and what I need to, to own. So, so that, that to me already from, from the beginning with the terminology like sends a relatively uh, uh, inward-looking message. Right. <clears throat> at the same time, as I said, you know, in the, in the mind at least of the European Commission, the way this was presented back in, in 2020, this was much more forward-looking. But, but we're, we're still facing with, with this term, which is used time and again, which is we need to protect our sovereignty. And usually that, that's in that context that, that you hear this. Presumably the, the EU has you see, its self-interest and the, the inspiration of all these policy initiatives. But you sa said just now, you briefly, that there were some parts of the, the broad digital agenda, uh, which, are, which are, from your point of view, are, are good uh, and are to be supported. Could you give me an example of what is to be supported and what is good in this agenda? Well, I think there's, there's a lot of things that are good in this agenda in the sense that there's a, a comprehensive strategy on how do you harness the power of digital and how do you ensure that society at large, not just the economy, but society can actually benefit from digital transformation. I think you know, we just come out of two years of you know, very turbulent times with COVID where there was a growing realization that all parts of our lives are actually using digital tools in one way or another. And then how do you make sure that you have a comprehensive um, agenda that will you know, make sure that citizens, governments, companies, others have access to these tools, uh, but also that how you protect from sometimes unintended consequences of others. So that, that, that's, that's, that's an ambition uh, agenda. Now, you know, what's tricky in this space is there's so many files and so many mm. overlaps right. in all these files that you need to make sure, I mean, you need, like we, mm. you know, policymakers, you know, industry, you know, civil society, academics, when we're looking at all these files, making sure that there is a consistency. Like a joined up policymaking. Correct, you know, absolutely. And there, there's consistency across the files because, you know, if there's, there's different files that will touch upon the same topic, the right. same subject. If you create different rules for organization that will fall under these two legislations, for instance, that will create inefficiencies and sometimes confusion. So making sure we are coordinated and that the policies uh, are well tailored to, make, to, to, uh, to have this, this, this consistency across the board. This idea of lack of coordination and consistency across the broad policy agenda in the tech field, I presume that's a, a view widely held by, by other parts of the tech industry, but do you think the, the EU itself, the policymakers, are cognizant of that? Because it, it seems to be a, a vulnerability and a very open goal if they, if they are not aware of that. No, I, th I think, you know, there is a realization that uh, you know, consistency is, is, is necessary. What's more difficult, I think, is the fact that when you're thinking in, you know, tech policy, you, the common understanding is that it will affect the tech companies, but mm. that's not the actual, uh, you know, reality. The reality is every company today uses tool, digital tools in one way or another for managing, you know, payroll, HR, for managing their data, for, you know, making sense of that data using, you know, tools like artificial intelligence, like blockchain and others. And so what, 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 need, what needs to be in the back of the mind of, of, of everyone is a tech policy 
will have repercussions and impacts beyond the tech sector. It will have impacts across the board on all these other you know, companies and, and, and sectors of, of the industry. That's why you know, at BSA, we created a few, few, few months ago the, the Digital Transformation Network, right. where we're bringing together you know, our members, so the you know, enterprise software companies, and companies from a variety <laughs> of other sectors, from you know, pharmaceutical, financial services, the, the telco industry, consumer goods, airlines, automotive, publishing, etc., to make sure that we are all communicating and we are all aware, understanding about the different you know, uh, policy developments that are happening you know, in Europe, but also around the world. And right. our digital transformation network is global. We're not looking at you know, one right. region particularly, but to make sure that we all have you know, the same understanding and that we can you know, discuss, you know, for, you know, let's say, you know, a, a company in the financial services sector will, ha will be impacted by a variety of, of tech policies. But for them, it may be priority number 15 or 20. They yeah. don't necessarily have the time right. or, or, the, or the bandwidth to do that. And also, we try to make sure that we exchange and they're aware so that we can also get their expertise, their views to help us, you know, formulate our, our positions when we try to engage with the different institutions to, 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 to help them, uh, you know, push uh, files across the, okay. the finish line. We'll move on to the, the global context in a, in a second, Thomas, but before we do that, you used a number of times now the phrase digital transformation and even before COVID, it was, I say, a flagship uh, ambition of the, of the van der Leyen Commission. Europe fit for the digital age, which happens to be, I think, the job title of Mareta Vestea. Mm -hmm. And obviously, th th that whole debate has been accelerated and made more acute and more intense and more, uh, much more relevant on the back of COVID, obviously. It sounds a bit like a hyperbole, I suppose, to use a phrase, that the world has been transformed on the back of COVID in a digital uh, context. But from your point of view, it is, not, is it a, or not a question of overstatement? How has, from your perspective and that of your members, how has the, the COVID pandemic affected the whole appreciation of the, the role and relevance of, of digital? Well, I think uh, everyone realized that, that during the successive lockdowns that we experienced over the last two years, you know, the reliance on, on tools were much more relevant for every part of every single aspect of our lives, not just for work. I think for work, that was clearly obvious, you know, the use of, you know, collaborative tools, the use of cloud, the use of, of different, different things, but also in our personal lives, you know, to keep our, our close ones who are far away yeah. locked down as well to be able to communicate to see them you know the, the use of you know video conferencing uh, and tools like this you know what I mean it may sound trivial but that showed how important this was and you know had this situation this COVID situation happened maybe a decade ago or two decades ago the situation would have been radically different than, than we had so digital technology actually helps to continue you know that to make sure that the economy was continuing to make sure that you know society was continuing that we as individuals could also try to to you know, have as connected a life as, as, as possible, you know, in this uh, in this in these strange times. Okay, let's broaden out on route to the more global discussion. Let's go via the, the transatlantic dimension, Thomas. Mm -hmm. I mean, you said just now that your concern you might have, or you do have, about lack of consistency, maybe uh, across the EU in terms of the policy agenda here. But when it comes to the United States, do, do you and your and your and your colleagues and your members in the U.S., since you have a big chunk of membership, uh, which are U.S. companies, have similar concerns on the other side of the pond? Well, Paul, you know, the, the interesting thing that we're witnessing is that in the EU, in the US, but also in a variety of places around the world, I see that with my colleagues who are in the Asia-Pacific region, 
governments across the board, you know, around the world are thinking about, they have similar thoughts because they're realizing that digital is transforming their economy, their society, and there's a variety of legislations that are being developed like around the world, you know, on the same topic, be it on, you know, artificial intelligence or privacy or cybersecurity. And we're seeing that developing, you know, in a variety of places. And, and from our perspective, from the perspective of, multinational companies or companies who are also servicing global companies. We need global standards and rules, or, or at least a convergence of, of rules in order to make sure that the rules are consistent, they are interoperable with one another, and they can actually ensure seamless application by organizations around the world in the different markets that they, that they are. And when it comes to, to, uh, to the regulators and the legislators on you know, the United States side, do you do you see a, a growing appreciation of the need for consistency or s of some level of consistency with their EU counterparts? Uh, is, that, is that looking more promising now, or do you think there's a still a, a danger of kind of two parallel tracks, US one side, EU the other, when it comes to regulation and, and, and broader policy making? Well, the, you know, you, you see that, you know, the, in, the, in this specific context of the United States, I think there are a variety of, of developments in the United States that are similar to the ones that we're, we're witnessing in, in, in Europe. For instance, you know, if we talk about artificial intelligence, you know, in, in the EU we have the AI Act that was presented by the Commission about a year ago. In the U.S., there's a whole interagency process led by, by NIST that seeks also to... NIST being the... NIST, the National Institute for Standards and Technology. Thank you. Um, and that seeks to, uh, uh, in the same way as, as the EU Act does, is how do you ensure that artificial intelligence can be used you know, in a variety of, of sectors, in a variety of situations, but, but in the cases where there's a high risk uh, for a variety of different reasons, you mitigate the risk to, to make sure that we can do that. And we're seeing that there's, on both sides of the Atlantic, a willingness to, to, to go in that direction. Now, I'm not going to tell you that, that anything that you don't know, Paul, but, but the, the, the legal philosophies, the legal system is, is different you know, in the EU and the US. Um, and so you know, while we here we have a formal legislative process that is, that is ongoing in the US, you know, it's less you know, of, a, of a hard regulation, if I, if I may say. Now, what's, what's important for us and what we're looking, we're very pleased to see, is in the context of the EU-US Trade and Technology Council. Yeah. The view where the U.S. variety of, of U.S. Uh, authorities, you know, from different uh, departments and, and organizations, and here in the Commission, are actually sitting around the table to discuss these issues. And how do you how do you see? L right. Let, yes. sorry, interrupt. let me interrupt you briefly. That just for the benefit of our listeners, um, Thomas, who don't follow things quite as closely as you and I do, and quoting the EU kind of mandate of what this Trade Technology Council (TTC) is. Quote, the TTC serves as a forum for the EU and the US to coordinate approaches to address key trade and technology issues and to deepen transatlantic cooperation in this realm based on shared democratic values. It's a relatively new organization, but uh, before you go into some of the detail, maybe what the TTC is about, in, in, in broad terms, do you think the TTC is a good idea and is already on the right track or, or not, frankly? Oh, absolutely. I think the TTC is an excellent idea. I think the more the... EU and the US, and in this context, talk to one another, exchange on how they see the developments of a variety of, of, of policy issues you know, in, in you know, technology and trade, and how they can exchange and compare notes, compare views, the better we are. Now, if, the, if we're expecting for the TTC to create a global rule book on mm. this is how regulation, I think 
this will not happen because uh, again, you know, the EU and the US have different ways of regulating or legislating. That that's you know, not saying anything anything new. But the more there is dialogue, the more there is a, a, a way for these these two to exchange ideas and, and and agree on the broad vision. Hey, this is what we're trying to achieve. Mm. We'll have different ways of arriving there, but at least we understand and we are setting a standard, setting a way to, to do that. And, and you know, in the context of the EU and the US, this is important, but it also will serve for other like-minded countries around the world, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, others, to also like, hey, you know, we also agree with this, with, it, with these views, and, and we'll have our own ways of regulating, ways of legislating, ways of, uh, of, of creating rules. But ultimately, we will converge in the, uh, in the, in the view that, that, that will create homogeneous system or homogeneous rules that, that will actually help society at large to, to benefit from these uh, from the right. offenses. Well, the, the communique following the last plenary of this TTC in Paris about a month ago was full of references, rather obviously, to Ukraine and Russia, obviously. Uh, but to be very candid, it, the TTC is also is seen, and hence the reference maybe to, to share democratic values I quoted just now, it is seen as some kind of attempt to have a broad coordinated front quote unquote against China, right? Is that something that you think the TTC is also about? This is not the primary objective of the TTC and it's not even stated in, in the thing. But what 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 but you, you highlighted a very important point, which is there are around the world like minded democracies mm. who are working closely together on a variety of issues and then who really want to make sure that they can put their societies, their citizens, their companies, their industries in the best way possible in this globalized world. And you know, we need to start, the conversation needs to start amongst these like-minded countries. You know, and the US is a, is a clear and an easy example. And I was yeah. saying, you, know, you, can, you could bring into the mix Australia, New Zealand, Japan, you know, Singapore, others that are having similar values. They don't have the same exact values, but they, they share the same principles of you know, free, free speech, democratic society, etc. And that need to, to, to see eye to eye. You know, if we start, if each of these uh, uh, regions, if these markets start creating their own rules on their own, without looking at what others are doing, without trying to find synergies, trying to find uh, commonalities and ways to work together, then we will create a patchwork of rules that may or may not be consistent, and that will make things a lot more complicated for you know, companies and, and industries operating in all these different markets because the rules will have to change all the time. So, and, and you know, China is, is not really, you know, China is, is, I guess, the elephant in the room, but, but we, we kind of leave it aside. But let's work with countries around the world that share similar values, similar views, and how we can move forward to try to create this, this environment that will benefit ultimately all of us in these in these uh, you know, democratic, democratic societies. Well, uh, in terms of how the, the DTC, TTC is now operating, it's had two plenaries, been up and running for several months now. High expectations, as you've been hinting at just now. A plethora of working groups on topics such as secure supply chains, technology standards, artificial intelligence, platform governance, and so on and so on. Where's the role for stakeholders? Obviously, the, the tech sector in, in all that. Do you see encouraging signs from you and your members' point of view that the two sides, the, the regulators, policymakers, to call them broadly that, uh, are open to uh, engaging with you guys because you are part of the story, obviously? I mean, uh, absolutely. I think, in, in, you know, I mean, the TTC is, uh, is uh, 
new forum where the EU and the US sit together and it's formalized with, as you said, you know, there's a number of working groups, number of agendas, etc., etc. But you know, this is nothing. You know, this is a codification of what had been happening for, for a long time. I think for, for the industry, and, and not just industry, I think there's, there's these issues that are being discussed and you know, go beyond, you know, just industry. I think civil society, as I said, academics, others need also to continue engaging with the U.S. government, with the European Commission, you know, to try to put the, the points across and the, and the points of view. And I think this has existed for as long as I've been in this town and working these issues, yeah. uh, you know, in a similar way. I think the, 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 the inputs, the views are always welcome. Either side, you know, are always looking for ideas, thoughts, you know, people who are on the grounding, they are dealing with issues. Hey, we have ideas to bring forward and, you know, if they believe that these ideas are good, they will be, be put forward. So I think there's a clear willingness to, to, to listen to all parties that have something to say to, 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 be, to, be, to be listened to and to bring these points forward you know, to, the, uh, to, to the table. And now what you know, I think and hopefully we'll, we'll see is that the message that both the US government gets and that the commission gets from similar groups are the same. So that ultimately you know, that, that facilitates these exchanges and this push forward in, in working these this different issues and, and you know, developing these this standards or these this points of view in a very coordinated and, and, and smart way. But to bring this round then, to conclude, uh, Thomas, uh, to more or less where we started, the, the, the global nature of the issues, uh, the policy agenda, and the, and the global makeup of your organization is that up to a point, this town of Brussels can often be seen by some critics as being a bit parochial or, or and or thinking it's the center of the universe, especially when it comes to standard setting, the famous Brussels effect that we're all familiar with in this town. Uh, at the same time, it's clear, based on this conversation, that that the issues are more global now and maybe from, I wonder from your perspective now as a kind of final almost philosophical comment uh, you have any views about how how the, the, the lobby world the representational world of Brussels which had traditionally focused on the EU policy agenda has to kind of adapt to this new global context where everybody around the world especially those with have democratic values that we all share uh, need to, to, to work more together and cooperate more together for, from, for the European institutions, you know, they're looking at the EU and, and how do you regulate for, for the EU. You know, that, that's, that's their role and that's, that's something that you know, will not change. Now, what we're seeing, and that's what we BSA try to do, we, we and our members and a variety of other groups, is try to bring also the points of view of things that we're seeing happening in other markets. Right. Best practices, things that could be learned from, but also sometimes saying, hey, listen, if you go down this path, this may like, be inconsistent with some other rules being developed there that we actually may want to interoperate at some point. So we, you know, there, there's well, a. And, and the opposite, don't make the same mistakes as some correct. other regions made. Exactly, and and I think, and we're seeing, and you know, and, and with a variety of interlocutors that 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 we have, you know, be it you know from the Commission, from the European Parliament, you know, member states, there's a clear willingness to hear this, and to I think there's a, a the EU uh, wants to, you know, I mean, we regulate. That's what we've been doing. That's what this time is about. This time is about, you know, legislation, and that that's fine. That's you know, the <laughs> thing that what people are passionate about this in this town. But but ultimately, it, it's not done in, in in isolation. I think there's a real, uh, and we see that every day as we as we engage. There's a willingness to listen to different points of view to try to exchange to make to make the best rules possible. And our job is to bring that information and. As you said, you know, we are global. We've, we've seen our members, our colleagues have seen things happening I'll in a variety of places. But, but, but vice versa, you know, we and my team here, we engage a lot with our colleagues around the world to also give them information. Hey, this is what the EU is doing. This is what the EU has done. This is, and there's a real uh, interest. I'll tell you one thing, for instance, you know, like 
you know, GDPR has obviously been the, the flagship regulation. Data protection regulation. Data protection, the general data protection regulations, yes, sorry. Has been the flagship regulation of the, of the EU on, on privacy and, you know, the first, you know, real comprehensive privacy regulation, etc. And that has been emulated and copied by a variety of places around the world. And we've had colleagues in Brazil, in India, in, you know, asking us, hey, our yeah. governments are also looking at it. They're looking at GDPR as an inspiration. Can you hel help us exp mm. understand what was happening? So we'll spend a lot of time doing, doing this, and, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'm going to go a little technical now, but, but you know, it's just, you know, if you bear with me for a second. One of the things that we've been doing around the world is also using best examples from the GDPR as these different markets are looking at right. privacy regulation. And one of the fundamental principles that we, that we believe that the, you got absolutely right is the data controller, data processor distinction that we are pushing, and we sound like broken records all around <laughs> the world, in you know, all the US states that do privacy legislation, in India, in Brazil, in places around the world, that they do that. Because this was a best practice right. that we believe should be emulated by others as they are looking at their regulation. So it's not just us bringing the information to Brussels, it's also us right. disseminating all the good things that have been, have been happening here to colleagues and, and governments around the world as they are thinking about you know, similar issues and how do we make the best laws possible so that our citizens, our society, our industry can actually continue to strive. Okay, well, we have to leave it there. Thomas Bouet, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Paul.